Bing bong. I am back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast where I'm joined by special guest Camilla Campton. In this, we get into Camilla's experience at Swan, her orange pilling story, her Spanish speaking Twitter spaces, and her podcast that she hosts. Uh, just overall, her experience in the Bitcoin realm. And then we dive into a couple stories. We talk about Jack Dorsey getting based. Base Jack is loose. We talk about Bitcoin shoes, Bitcoin Miami, and Bitcoin's quote unquote marketing. We talk about millennials expect BTC to fund retirement, the Russian tax authority proposing to use Bitcoin in foreign trade, US Treasury attempting to crack down on Russian Bitcoin miners. And finally, we wrap it up with Australia launching a Bitcoin spot ETF. Now, tune in to hear all our thoughts on all these topics. But as always, this is not financial advice. Both Camilla and I are not financial advisors. So please, please, please do your own research and do not take anything that we say in here as financial advice. Both the opinions of Camilla and I are our own and not the opinions of our employers or the opinions of Green Candle Investments. So like I said, it is not financial advice, not financial advice, not financial advice. Now let's get into the show. Whoosh. All right, we are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. I am joined by Camilla Campton. How are you doing today? I am amazing. How are you, Brandon? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, like what you do in the Bitcoin realm, and uh, yeah, just get going and get into it. Absolutely. So once again, thank you for having me. This is super exciting. Anytime I get to talk about Bitcoin, it's just I'm in my happy place, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, for Bitcoin, what I do is I actually work for Swan Bitcoin, which is one of the easiest places for people to get started into buying Bitcoin. They can set up DCA plans. Um, and just we really focus on long term investment. That's what you should do with Bitcoin. So funny thing is, we don't have a sell button necessarily. <laughs> um, and we just want to really focus on the education aspect so that when people do buy Bitcoin, they know like the benefits of it why it's important and why you should, you should definitely hold on to it long term. And so that ethos definitely stuck with me since I started learning about Bitcoin. So what I do with them is just help with the education aspect. I work on social media. I work with the affiliate program. So definitely wear different hats um, just because I'm so passionate about this and just helping newcomers come in, understand and know that it's not that hard of a place. Um, to be in and that it's very easy to get started. Awesome. Yeah, that's great stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your orange pilling story? How did you find <laughs> Bitcoin? And uh, did you ever dabble in anything else? Um, or were you just Bitcoin only, you know, from the beginning? It's a great question. And I think... Um, one of the biggest things, just to answer your question from the get-go, no, I didn't really dabble <laughs> into anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, and I tweeted about this one time, I, I said, that's probably my cheat code to saving a lot of time and energy. Um, because when I got into the Bitcoin space, it was actually because of my husband. He's the one that orange pilled me. And I had no idea he was 
into Bitcoin as much as he was until we got married, moved in together. And that was like his side thing. <laughs> like wow. he would listen to Bitcoin podcasts. Um, he recommended the Bitcoin standard. I didn't listen to him the first time. But anytime we would be on the car, he would be like, hey, can I put on a Bitcoin podcast? Even though I didn't understand anything, I would say, yeah, go ahead. You know, this is this is your thing. I'm not going to say no to it. And he would put on Stefan Levera podcast in my head. I'm like, what is this? Like all of it going over my head. But it wasn't until a Thanksgiving dinner that we had at his parents' house where he was kind of trying to orange pill his dad and they would just go back and forth. That's when I just stayed quiet the whole time and just like listened to them have this conversation. And I realized that he knew a lot and he was very passionate about it because if he wants his parents to invest, it's like, okay, there's there's definitely something here. And so I actually read the Bitcoin standard finally after that trip, flying back home. And that's when it was game over for me. I just learned a lot. I learned that I didn't know anything. <laughs> and what I learned is that, yeah, I didn't learn anything about money, how our monetary system works. And that to me was just kind of like a heartbreaking moment because I've been saving so much money, right, into a new marriage and I have no idea how money works. And it's funny because people say finances are like the number one thing, uh, the number one reason why people get divorced and in my head you know being as a newlywed I said I don't want this for myself I should definitely start learning about this and just set a strong foundation for the both of us and so that's when I joined Bitcoin Twitter and was just so excited about the journey that I just started sharing and I didn't know anything at the point this was uh December 2020. So I still feel like I'm a baby <laughs> in this space, not that long. Um, but it was just that passion and excitement that got me a job at Swan. Uh, and now I'm just completely into it. This is my day to day life, just talking to people about Bitcoin and learning more. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. That's a pretty interesting story you got there. So you, you get married and then all of a sudden, surprise, uh, your husband's uh, a big Bitcoiner. But uh, <laughs> for, uh, you know, trying to listen and, and figuring everything out, you know, that takes a takes a lot to to kind of be, I guess, open minded about everything and, and get into it. And now look at you, you're working for a Bitcoin company and, and everything, too. And yeah, uh, I think uh, it, a lot of Bitcoiners kind of get away from the fact to like, I think early on, you know, everybody kind of has their journey that that gets them to Bitcoin. Um, and a lot of people are kind of jumping into it right now uh, because it's, you know, becoming a little bit more mainstream. And we'll get into, you know, some of the more mainstream things going on now uh, a little bit later. But, um, you know, what do you think about, I, I guess, the processes and uh, how are you like orange pilling people to kind of help them avoid getting into like, I guess the, the, uh, the altcoins or the shit coins um, and uh, just stay, I guess, Bitcoin only. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think a great problem that we have because a lot of people get distracted by the noise. And as someone that's trying to educate them, you want to figure out how to relay your message without scaring them away or insulting them or, you know, kind of just pushing them to the side because they're making this decision to look into other things. So uh, I started to do Bitcoin in, in Spanish spaces where I just started reading Spanish books about Bitcoin and people would start listening. 
And I always tell the people that join my spaces, it's very important when you come into the space to focus on the basics, the foundation, and that's Bitcoin. And the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that there is so much to learn. I let them know, hey, I'm more than a year into my journey and I still don't know everything. Like there's something else to learn. But, and I tell them, I think the biggest piece of advice is for you guys to focus on this foundation. And then if later on you decide to look into those other things, you'll have a different lens or a filter to view those other projects. <laughs> I try to be respectful. <laughs> have another uh, filter where you can see those projects through. And that's where you will see if it's worth it to you or not. And what happened with me is, you know, I saw that it wasn't worth it because I discovered that there's still so much to learn about Bitcoin. So why am I going to spend my time, one of the most valuable things that I have, if not the most valuable thing, researching into other things when I still don't understand Bitcoin completely. Um, so that's kind of the advice I try to give to people, you know, start learning about Bitcoin because a lot of these people are, haven't read Bitcoin books. They just, you know, know the very basics. They, some of them still confuse it as a stock. Um, and they don't know how to differentiate, you know, between Bitcoin and crypto. And so that's my mission. Just let them know, like, hey, these are two completely separate things. If you want to dabble into other things, that's that's you. That's your life. But essentially, people come around and, you know, they focus on Bitcoin and see the importance of it and why it's different. So try to be respectful, but try to still guide them like, hey, don't don't waste your time, you know, continue focus on what's important. And you'll eventually understand why I made that decision as well. Gotcha. Yeah. So you mentioned it, um, you know, before, but uh, you you do Twitter spaces, you know, in Spanish and Spanish speaker, uh, you know, obviously Spanish speakers come on in. Um, so we've kind of had uh, Bitcoin adoption, whether it's like legal tender or, um, you know, framework, uh, legal framework kind of being rolled out in a lot of Latin America countries. So have you had a lot of uh, interaction with, uh, you know, various people in those countries, whether it's El Salvador and, uh, you know, maybe Brazil, I know Mexico has been, um, you know, thrown out there as potentially having Bitcoin as legal tender as well. Uh, have you had any interaction with any of those? And, um, you know, how's, uh, I guess, the word spreading down there um, in Latin America, if you've had uh, some interactions with, uh, you know, some of those people? Absolutely. Um, so aside from the Bitcoin spaces, I actually do a Bitcoin podcast. Uh, through Swan with a co-host and he lives in Venezuela. So shout out to him because he has been incredibly valuable with me understanding the scope of what's happening in Latin America. And in there, we've actually had interviews with a lot of different people um, from different countries. Like you said, we've had interviews with people from El Salvador, Colombia, Argentina, I think almost all of the Latin American countries. And it's very interesting because when the news of El Salvador came out, I feel like people here in America were like, well, yes, if El Salvador is doing it, then Latin America is just going to jump in and we're going to have all these countries having Bitcoin as legal tender. But that is not the case at all. And I try to say in my podcast, it's not be 
being pessimistic because that would be the number one thing to just see Bitcoin adoption all over Latin America. It's just that El Salvador is such a unique case and the way that governments work in all these different countries is very, very different. So yeah, I don't see Mexico being the next country to adopt it, at least not anytime soon. And that is okay because what we need to understand is that we don't necessarily need Bitcoin to be legal, legal tender in order for adoption to happen in these countries. I've always liked the grassroots philosophy of people just educating themselves, because what good is it for your country to have Bitcoin as legal tender when the majority of people are not educated on the subject at all? And, you know, it's it's just really sad. So. I don't see any Latin American countries um, adopting it. And that's what people are saying on the ground as well. Um, they're saying that they're seeing a lot of laws being passed or a lot of what are they called sandboxes of trying to see like how how they can interact with Bitcoin. A lot of apps are coming out, not only with Bitcoin, but with other cryptocurrencies, which is like, ah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, adoption is happening regardless. It's just that I think that not only Latin America, but everywhere in the world, it's just a lack of understanding and education. And that's what we should really be focusing on, um, helping people understand what this is. And then eventually like me, eventually like you, Brandon, they'll want to go down the rabbit hole and educate themselves more and just get as much as they can as quickly as they can. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, education in the United States and, and you know, globally is still kind of lacking as well. So, um, you know, it's not just a specific to, to Latin America thing or anything like that. But I just think they're starting to, um, I guess some of them might, might be a little bit more open minded to it, or at least it seems like it from my interactions. Um, that I've had with uh, various people in Latin America. You know, I went to the Bitcoin conference and I had met a few from, um, you know, d different countries. One of them worked for uh, Brains and, you know, he was a very intelligent guy and he probably could tell me more about Bitcoin mining than I could uh, ever <laughs> know. So, um, but yeah, uh, so uh, outside of, uh, you know, the Twitter spaces and, uh, you know, uh, the Twitter spaces in your podcast, um, what are some of the, uh, I guess, cool, or maybe even through this, what are some of the coolest interactions that you've had with people? And do you have like a specific moment that, uh, you know, you've had during any of these that like really sticks out to you, whether it's educating somebody or just a, you know, a cool interaction? Yeah, I think my favorite one, and I have it still as my banner on my Twitter profile, was during uh, Twitter Spaces last year after Legal Tender was announced in El Salvador. My co-host and I, uh, well, he decided to do a space and kind of talk about, you know, what does this mean? What is this going to look like? And it was a space in Spanish, and we just see a whole bunch of people jumping in. And then for some reason, Nick Carter comes in our space and it's just like, oh, hey, cool, Nick Carter. And then um, Jack Dorsey joins our space. And I was completely mortified because my friend in Venezuela, he lost connection. And at that time, I wasn't used to talking. I'm actually 
very shy, <laughs> kind of like an introvert. And there was a lot of people there. And I said, oh, my gosh, how am I going to continue, you know, the conversation on this? And I just acknowledged Jack and I said, you know, hey, thanks for being here. I know you don't understand anything, but, you know, Bitcoin is like a language that we all speak. And then he decided to quote me and like tweet it out. And then that kind of blew up. And I was just, it was a very awesome moment because one, it just made me realize that we as plebs have so much power with connecting with these people that at one point seem unreachable. You, if you ask me, hey, the <laughs> the founder of Twitter is going to start following you and like actually listen to something you had to say, I would have been like, you're crazy. You know, I just feel like, I'm just a pleb. I'm, you know, I'm just so basic, <laughs> as funny as that sounds. Um, but it then made me realize that, hey, we actually have a lot of power here with social and we can actually interact with these people that seem unreachable. So I see someone mentioning the whole Mexico thing and about the CBDC. I actually um, commented that that was like the complete opposite. And the senator of Mexico replied to my comment. And so, you know, things like that, where you're actually able to voice out your opinions, your concerns, and actually start meaningful conversations. That Jack Dorsey thing just made me realize, you know, we have so much power and we underestimate it. And we should actually push more to interact with these people because they do see your stuff, which is which is really, really awesome. So I think that's one of the coolest moments I've had. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I noticed that on your uh, on your banner as well. And yeah, I think, you know, that's the one thing I've noticed about Twitter, too, is like, no matter how big the audience is at the end of the day, you know, people are are probably going to read some of the replies and they're going to see some of these things and, uh, you know, maybe crowdsource some something. So whether it's, you know, the CBDC bill that was uh, proposed in Mexico or something else. And I think uh, a lot of these politicians um, specifically are, are kind of realizing that, you know, Bitcoin Twitter is, is a thing and it's huge. And so uh, I'm seeing a lot more politicians kind of get active on there too and, and join spaces and, and do all that. So that's good. Hopefully it uh, continues and education um, for, in, in the Bitcoin realm uh, continues as well. But um, you brought up Jack already. And so let's get into uh, kind of the first story that I have here. Um, so we'll get into some of the uh, current events going on, whether it's like Bitcoin, Twitter, or just overall in the Bitcoin space. But the first story is on uh, Jack Dorsey. So Jack Dorsey uh, kind of made headlines after he left Twitter. And since he's left Twitter, he's kind of been, uh, you know, ratioing people on the replies <laughs> Uh, specifically going at like ETH developers and just other people and other trolls. Um, you know, he even had a reply the other day uh, saying, if you're building on ETH, you have at least one, if not many, single points of failure, and therefore it's not interesting to me. And so Jack's been very outspoken and very good about, you know, being Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. And then, you know, we've also had you know, recently, um, you know, Corey from Swan and Pomp kind of have their public spat on Twitter, as well as, uh, you know, Bitcoiners kind of going at Zuby for being in, into uh, multiple uh, altcoins, if we want to call them. So um, what are like overall your thoughts on, uh, I guess, how, how people describe it almost as like toxic Bitcoin maximalism? Do you think it's a... Uh, you know, a good way to go at it? Or do you think, uh, you know, these big people kind of replying 
um, these ways is maybe intimidating to some. So I definitely think it's a feature, not a bug, the toxicity that comes out because people may confuse it with toxicity, but I just see it as truth, you know, and it's, it's really important to speak out your truth and not confuse people, especially people that have so much influence, right? Like Jack, um, it's amazing that he's so clear with his vision, his mission, and that, you know, he's just not going to waste his time looking at other things because his message is, I, you know, don't want to work on these applications. I'm here to fix the monetary system. And that's a very serious mission to have. So it kind of, it's very inspiring because, you know, there's a whole bunch of people like Jack that think the same. And so making sure that you're very clear on your stance kind of brings some sort of respect as well. Like, okay, this person is not a sellout and Bitcoin is actually something ethical as Michael Saylor likes to explain it. You know, you're not shilling securities, you're actually shilling property. And, you know, it's a lot more ethical to kind of push Bitcoin than all these other things because there's underlying um things that could benefit you from promoting right um and so i think it's amazing that they do that and i actually want to bring up a really funny story about toxicity that i've never mentioned on a podcast before um and it's actually about my husband and what kind of made him go down the bitcoin rabbit hole so and hopefully he comes on and tells the story. I hope I don't butcher it. But essentially what happened is in March of 2020, when everything was going down, he was trying to see where he could put his money. And he was actually following a gold bug on Twitter and was starting to buy gold. And so when he would see the comments, he saw some random, a non-pleb, just completely random, say, Gold is a shit coin, buy Bitcoin. And so my husband had see, like heard about Bitcoin back in 2017. He had bought a little bit then, but completely forgot about it. But when he saw this comment, it kind of stopped him on his tracks. And he said, okay, I should definitely look into Bitcoin. Like, why is this coming up again? And if it wasn't for that Anon pleb being toxic, it wouldn't have stopped my husband on his tracks to actually think. And so I think this is what this toxicity does is just that you have to be forward and direct. And that's what can kind of bring, grab some people's attention. If it doesn't, well, you know, eventually it will. And eventually they'll be like, okay, those toxic Bitcoiners were right. You just have to be very serious with your message and just stand up for what you believe in. And I think that's what the toxicity is. That's where it comes from. So we're just speaking our truth. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. And I think a lot of people kind of uh, view it as a negative or, or whatever, because, you know, whether they're working on these other projects or anything like that. But, you know, I think the mission behind Bitcoin and the ethos behind Bitcoin to, you know, fix the monetary policy Bitcoiners are just very passionate about it. And, you know, that's what makes the space great. You know, that's how people connect. And that's why you have people like, you know, Jack Dorsey coming into your spaces and, and things like that, because people just want to learn, educate and, you know, elevate voices that are, uh, you know, promoting, helping the monetary system and trying to fix that. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as Bitcoiners always say, fix the money, fix the world. So there's a lot of different things that uh, the monetary system negatively affects and, uh, you know, these kind of altcoins 
just like muddy those waters at the end of the day. And so, um, you know, if we could kind of help clear it up by just telling somebody, hey, forget this other thing and just go Bitcoin only, um, that would, you know, help at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I mean, good on that toxic play club to uh, get your husband orange pill and not look yeah. at you. Whoever he is, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> he has no idea who it is or what his username is, but it just comes to show that even anonymous people on the internet that speak their truth can make such a huge impact on a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. All right, now let's get into the uh, next story. So um, there's been an announcement that uh, an NBA player, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's partnered with BitRefill to create some custom bit, bit sneaks is what they're calling them. And so basically they're just black shoes that have like seemingly like uh, LED lights that go on the side. Uh, they display like the Bitcoin price block height and other related Bitcoin like metrics. Mm -hmm. um, and then so there's like that and then Bitcoin Miami just kind of happened. So it seems like Bitcoin's been kind of in the mainstream news, whether it's, you know, a player who's in the NBA playoffs right now or a, a conference that had 25,000 people. Um as Bitcoin has no CEO or no head or anything like that, it seems like it's being marketed very uh, frequently in the news and, and in various outlets. How do you feel about, uh, I guess, Bitcoin's quote unquote marketing uh, that, that's going on these days? Do you think that it's in going in the right path or do you think it's becoming a little flashy? Um, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, I think it's great um anything is good for bitcoin right and if we're getting these different groups of people with different interests um come into this space because of sneakers i think that's amazing as long as they're pushing the right message right as long as it's yes bitcoin only you should definitely look into this and something that happens with our athletes is that they have such a short career and they get so much money that they don't know what to do with it. So they end up not being very wise about it. And then the money's gone. And so I think giving the messaging to these athletes, um, just saying, hey, if you invest in this, you're actually or buy save in Bitcoin, because I feel like that's like a messaging that we also have to be careful about. If you start saving in Bitcoin, all this money can last you forever. You know, you can build a bedrock of, of your finance that will help take care of you, take care of your family and future generations. And that's not an option that we really had before. And so if we get these players to understand this and for them to start adopting Bitcoin, they have huge influence in other people as well of different generations, right? And so if they start relaying that message, I feel like that can be a very positive effect, a wave that, um, helps impact people and helps adoption. So yes, it can be flashy, but it's flashy backed by truth, which is different than other crypto out there, right? They're just flashy to get your money. And then, you know, people get rug pulled. But with Bitcoin, if it's flashy, hey, if it's grabbing people's attention to look a little bit deeper, um, I'm totally about it. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, I I somewhat agree with you there, and I I somewhat have like a little differing opinion because I think uh, some of these athletes, 
Um, you know, it, it brings attention, whether it's, you know, uh, Odell Beckham or Serena Williams that came and spoke at the Bitcoin conference. Um, I think uh, when a conference is like that big and, you know, the, the talks are kind of uh, recorded for everyone, I think it's like really important to get, you know, somebody up there that can can really educate and nothing to take against from Serena or Odell, like maybe they could. Um, but I just know that, you know, Odell and, and Serena both kind of dabble into NFTs and, and other projects. So, um, you know, they're not necessarily Bitcoin only. And I know in the conference in the past specifically has uh, kind of been just strictly Bitcoin only. And I think it's kind of uh, opening up a little bit more to people who, you know, dabble in all coins. Um, I know this year specifically, I mean, I haven't gone in years past, so I guess I can't really speak to that. But um, this year, I, I did notice a lot of talks where, uh, you know, people were kind of mentioning crypto and other things um, in the conference. So that was a little disappointing to me. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, people, like you said, they're kind of going to either get rug pulled or, or realize that it's Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Uh, it just might take a little bit longer if, uh, you know, we have some of these marketing schemes or, or people coming out and, and talking about uh, various altcoins all the time with with such big voices. So um, I kind of hope that, uh, you know, these athletes and and big influential people kind of realize it sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, I guess everybody's got their own journey. At some Absolutely. point. Absolutely. Yeah. That I completely support athletes that are Bitcoin only. The ones that aren't, it's you use you, you definitely need to do some research. And there's other incentives behind it, right? Like some of these athletes get paid to shill other projects. And you know, that's where ethics come in as well. So yeah, I'm all for it as long as you're Bitcoin only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get into the next story. So um, there was a survey, I believe I saw it on like Investopedia originally. Uh, I also saw it on like Yahoo News. Um, but uh, a survey, it was like a 4,000 millennials found that 38% of them um, own some sort of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And 28% of them believe that Bitcoin or cryptocurrency will fund their retirement. Um, so I kind of got from this that they almost seem like they're in it for the, the number go up, uh, kind of, uh, scheme, but, uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, a large percentage, more than one in four millennials, uh, at the very least have some sort of exposure to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Do you think that that number is, is somewhat low or do you think that's like about right? And, uh, what do you think about the aspect of, uh, I guess, helping them fund retirement through uh, Bitcoin. Oh, well, I have a question for you, Brandon. Do you, are you part of those millennials <laughs> that think Bitcoin? I am. I am. <laughs> um, and I actually think that's a very low number. I think more millennials should be thinking about this as an option of retirement because what other choice do we really have? with you know everything that is going on a lot of millennials are already struggling with trying to buy their first home and just doing the basic things that every american should have access to right and so i think yes that some people come in for number go up but then they 
started to understand just like I did that, well, it's not only about number go up, is that if I don't do this, I'm going to completely drown with everything that's going on and I'm going to be unprotected. The whole point of Bitcoin for especially for us millennials and future generations is protection from everything that's going on in our economy today inflation is really bad and i feel like not all millennials or younger generations realize how bad it is um and so if people are going to come for number go up great but i think they're going to stay for other reasons to protect themselves with everything that that is coming because honestly what other choice do we have there's nothing else that can protect us like bitcoin yeah, exactly. And and to be honest, that's that's the reason why I got into it was uh, when I was starting to look into uh, Bitcoin and, and other cryptos at that point. Um, I was driving Uber in grad school and I needed to figure out a way to make that money go a little bit farther. And I just mm -hmm. knew I heard Bitcoin people made a lot of money off of it. So I put a little bit in and then I did a little bit more research. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, all right, it's just Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, I've just been buying ever since. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that, that there's definitely more vehicles now to where everybody kind of has some exposure to Bitcoin and, and maybe they don't even realize it. Um, so if you invest even in just like the NASDAQ, there's Bitcoin companies that are in that, uh, ETF. Um, you know, there's of course like Square Block, Tesla, um, all these other companies that kind of give you indirect exposure mm -hmm. to Bitcoin. And so I, I agree with you where I think that that number of 25 or 28% is, uh, or 38% of uh, millennials owning it is still somewhat low. I would say probably over 50% have somewhat some exposure to it um, some way, shape or form. And then too, now there's even like retirement accounts where you can just hold like physical Bitcoin in your retirement account. Um, and so, and, yeah, and people are asking for those things, you know, uh, companies, retirement companies that, you know, if they don't have that service, I feel like they're going to lose a lot of customers. It happened with my husband and I. <laughs> it's like, do you have Bitcoin? No. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Close and then open, open an account with someone that does. So if these companies are not up to date and they don't realize what's going on, they're going to lose a lot of customers, a lot of money. Um, so I really hope this is like a wake up call that if you're not in tune with what's going on and what with what millennials and younger generations want and not even us, like there's boomers, Gen X people that are also wanting this and they're for their retirement because not everyone, you know, not everyone's safe with what's going on. Everyone needs a protection. So it's really cool to see that all generations are jumping into this, but millennials specifically, we got the short end of the stick. We're essentially screwed without Bitcoin. So this is this is our only option to at least have a safe retirement because we don't know what could happen if we didn't have Bitcoin. Are we going to get social security? Probably not. Is our dollar going to be worth a lot by the time we retire? Probably not. So, you know, we have to be looking at those other options that just help us protect what we built our whole lives. That's what we want to do for retirement. Yeah, exactly. I think now, too, it's like when we were growing up, uh, it almost seemed like people were idolizing just just straight millionaires, where now it's like, all right, all right a million dollars doesn't even seem to go that far, as crazy mm -hmm. as that sounds. Um, and it's really unfortunate the way that uh, everything 
just being inflated throughout our, you know, our Absolutely. If they yeah. keep printing dollars, eventually we'll all be millionaires. But what's the point of that if <laughs> our, our money is worthless? There's, there's no point of that. And it's crazy. I remember when I was, uh, I think, 21 or 22 when I was going to start a retirement account, like putting in money for this retirement account. And yeah, they were very excited to tell me that, you know, if you put this amount by the time that you're 60, you're going to have like a million a million dollars, like a little bit more of that. And in my head at the time, I was like, wow, like I'll be a millionaire eventually. And now looking back, it's like, holy crap, how come they're putting that ceiling right on us? And that, and they think that with a million dollars, we're going to be able to retire. Like that's insane. Just comes to show that these people that work for these companies don't know how the economy works. They just have a sales pitch. So you hopefully buy their retirement plan and they get commission. Like it's, it's just insane. The incentives are so messed up in the world that we live in right now. It's not really helping us at all. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, our generation, too, is kind of realizing, all right, we might not get Social Security in other ways, too. So we're trying to figure out other ways to save for retirement. And, uh, yeah, avenues and companies that are offering Bitcoin. Um, you know, we've had I've had Brian Harrington on here from Choice uh, right. by Camp Trust, and they're growing rapidly uh, from what I can tell as an outsider looking in. And, uh, yeah, it seems like just more and more of those companies and products like that are in desire. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think that that number is a little bit low, but uh, yeah, I think it's positive for uh, overall for the space that more and more uh, millennials and probably other generations as well are kind of getting into it. Absolutely. All right. Now let's get into the next one. So um, I think this is pretty big for, I guess, Bitcoin adoption just as a whole kind of moving away from the US dollar. So the Russian tax authority proposed the use of Bitcoin in foreign trade. So this isn't official yet. They're making amends to their digital digital asset bill that will allow Russian Russian authorities to transact foreign trade in Bitcoin. Um, so I believe there was some sort of um, blocking, or um, you know, the U.S. kind of put something on Russia in order to kind of stop them from conducting a lot of foreign trades and foreign. Uh, you know, just, I, I guess, putting in sanctions is the, is the word mm -hmm. I'm looking for. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think, you know, Russia has been a, a big exporter of oil and gas and a lot of these countries now are kind of hurting for that. Um, so in my opinion, I think this is a, just an overall huge step for adoption because a lot of foreign trades that we've been seeing have been in different currencies outside of the U.S. dollar, which kind of is a knock on it. But at the end of the day, uh, those currencies are backed by the U.S. dollar. So now that they're using Bitcoin and uh, or proposing the idea of using Bitcoin, that shows that, you know, they're they're really trying to move away from it. Um, so, you know, as a U.S. dollar, um, I guess, holder or earner, how I earn my my paycheck now, uh, I, I can't get enough Bitcoin and I can't get it fast enough uh, at this point. But uh what are your thoughts about uh, Russia potentially conducting foreign trade in uh, Bitcoin? I think that they were just not given another option. You know, it's a country that still needs to survive. And if you're getting pushed out by sanctions, then you have to look for another alternative. 
it's exactly it's like a larger scale of what's happening with us millennials we're not giving much, much of an option we have to look for another alternative and i know there's like a lot of political clash with you know oh if russians using bitcoin then bitcoin is bad but it's a very good uh, lesson statement that shows people that bitcoin is for everyone and it's a permissionless system. They don't need permission from anyone to use it. And that's one of the basic things, the most, one of the best propositions about using Bitcoin uh, as a monetary system. So I think it's great. It's going to show Russians and probably kind of accelerate their adoption and their education, wanting to learn more about it. Because if they don't, then, you know, it's not going to be good for them. <laughs> Essentially, you want to make sure that you're protecting the value that you have in Russia, um, your money at the best way possible. And Bitcoin is the only viable option. So if you're cornered into a position where you have no other choice and people are going to look at Bitcoin, the same thing happened in Venezuela. The same thing happened in Argentina when inflation was insane and they needed to transfer their value into something else so i think like i said earlier this is good for bitcoin and it's good that other people are seeing how valuable it is to have access to this system and to essentially opt out of the fiat system that right now is controlled by the us dollar but that's also plummeting so yeah exactly uh you know i couldn't agree more with your your point is like at the end of the day, what what other option did the United States kind of give them? And and they're kind of pushing uh, Russia to Bitcoin faster than uh, faster than maybe they would have otherwise. And I think more and more of this news comes out, and I just keep thinking that you know when I first got into Bitcoin, all right, Bitcoin adoption's like. 10, 15, 20 years away. And, and now that each day passes and each week passes, more and more of this news comes out. I think it, that timeline just keeps kind of, kind of pushing up. Um, so overall, good for the space. And uh, I think it's definitely moving Bitcoin in the right direction. It's in the world stage right now. You know, before it was, oh, it's magic internet money. The next thing was, oh, only nerds use it on the internet. Now it's like, hey, it's on the world stage. Russia may actually use it. And now people can't have the excuse of like, oh, um, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's fake. It's not backed by anything. If countries are looking to use it, you need to start paying attention because it's not it's not a game anymore. This is definitely something that's happening right now and that you should look at it as an individual, as a viable option as well, because you're not safe. You know, you can get sanctioned as well by your own country. You do something that they don't agree with. You essentially become the enemy and they can shut down your bank accounts. We saw it happen in Canada. So it's just a good time to reflect on everything that's going on in the world. And just like it can happen in a very large scale, it can happen at an individual scale as well. That's what people haven't woken up to yet. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the next story. So, um, Recently, Russia's made changes to their digital asset bill, uh, kind of like I just mentioned, and it seems like it's going to be positive for Bitcoin mining. It's kind of encouraging uh, Bitcoin miners to come to Russia. Uh, I believe I saw an article that said Russia has like the third highest hash rate of any country uh, for Bitcoin mining right now. Uh, but now the United States is uh, seeking to place sanctions 
on uh, Russia Bitcoin mining that seek to impede the capacity for individuals to receive fiat payments for Bitcoin mining. And then we've already seen Compass Mining kind of cease all their business with their partners that they, they, that they have in Russia. So um, it kind of goes along the lines of, uh, you know, the United States putting on these sanctions on Russia for invading the Ukraine. Um, so what do you think that is, is going to be the end result to or all the uh, Bitcoin miners that are over in Russia? Do you think overall it's going to be really negative or do you think at the end of the day, you know, Bitcoin mining is going to prevail? It's going to prevail. It does suck for the people that had business with Compass because, you know, you're getting pushed out. Um, but in the larger in the larger picture, we saw China banned mining and all of that hash just moved somewhere where it was friendlier to mine Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, you just you just have to make sure that you know what the risks are. I loved a, a tweet that was going around. It was kind of like, if it's not your machine, it's not your hash. So <laughs> you want to make sure that you're in control, just like if it's not your keys, it's not your Bitcoin. Um, and that's the thing, though, that I feel like Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter had mentioned, this is a huge risk for the people that are doing business with Compass. Like, it's a thing. And I don't know why people don't think things are going to happen to them when it's very possible that it can happen to you. You just have to be able to assess the risks and see, are you willing to risk that or not? You know, um, and so, but in general, you know, if that happens, hash is just going to go somewhere else. There's a lot of places that are going to eventually wake up to it and see that mining is actually a good thing, especially if it's in their countries. So it's just going to it's just going to move around. Um, nothing is going to happen. If we were able to survive China, which was like a huge thing last year where people were scared, but we were able to recover our hash rate, same thing is going to happen. So it's just game theory in play, essentially. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think, you know, even if, uh, you know, some American companies or maybe some other foreign companies that aren't based in Russia are going to have to pull out or, or stop their operations with them. But at the end of the day, you know, Russians can start their own Bitcoin mining companies or they can get funding from another country uh, to kind of create the hash because they have just so many natural resources in Russia, similar to Canada, where I think uh, a lot of Bitcoin miners are just going to continue to to flock there, um, whether they have, you know, that that they just have to kind of understand that the geopolitical risk that they have, you know, similar to the situation that was in China. So, um, but yeah, like you said, we survived that one. So there's no doubt in my mind that Bitcoin will prevail and, and survive this next one. Absolutely. As well. And Max Kaiser talks about this too. He calls it the hash wars or countries are going to want to compete over that hash. And so, and that's the thing that it's permissionless. So anyone can start joining this whenever they want. It's just a matter of how smart and fast are these countries where they can start, you know, implement implementing their own mining and where it's more favorable also for the miners. So it's very interesting to see for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, now let's get into the last story. So Australia is set to launch their uh, a launch a spot Bitcoin ETF next week. Um, so unlike any other Bitcoin ETF that's in any other country, this is kind of an interesting one because uh, generally speaking, the spot Bitcoin ETFs in other countries hold physical Bitcoin, 
while this Australian spot Bitcoin ETF will just hold uh, the Canadian purpose Bitcoin ETF, which was launched last year. So it's kind of interesting that it's a little different of a ETF vehicle. Um, but what do you think of, uh, you know, some of these investment vehicles that allows, um, you know, I guess just people to purchase uh, Bitcoin through, you know, their stock market in their country? Um, do you kind of uh, do you agree with uh, all these products being rolled out, um, like whether it's an ETF or, or kind of futures trading or, or things like that? Would you encourage somebody to um, purchase any of these? No. <laughs> Flat out, no, because you don't need these products in order to have your own Bitcoin. And there's nothing better than to actually having custody of your own keys. And that's what people don't realize that what the benefit of that is. They get scared thinking, oh, you know, but people have lost their Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. But it all comes down to education, you know, and learning how to take self-custody. I think these are also kind of a distraction because one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about Bitcoin is that it's a stock. So if they see it in this form of product, they're going to agree that it's just a stock, not a monetary system or something that they can have full custody over. So I always say that, you know, just buy it. You have access to it. You don't have to ask anyone permission for it. Just figure out how you can start getting some and, and get your education on because, you know, there's nothing better than just having your own keys, having custody of your own Bitcoin. If it's not your keys, it's not your coin. That's like a very simple phrase, but it holds so much power and so much truth. So I am not a fan of these products at all, especially for the average person. I just say, you know, if you can just buy your own, just have it. You don't you don't need these products at all. These are not needed for Bitcoin adoption. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I'd much rather have the overall Bitcoin, you know, just a hard asset. The one thing that I will say is that I know, you know, in the United States that we spoke a little bit earlier that you can have Bitcoin in retirement accounts. Um, the one benefit I would see this is like maybe in Australia, those retirement accounts aren't available and, you know, you want to have some sort of Bitcoin exposure in, you know, a tax efficient account. Um, but, you know, like you said, at the end of the day, if I could just have Bitcoin, the physical asset and hold my own keys, like that's what I want to do. And I think it's also weird that this ETF is just holding another ETF opposed to just holding the, the other asset. So I don't know. I, it almost seems like you're going to be paying double the fees too for, uh, yeah. for, for that. So I thought that that was kind of like an interesting little tidbit, but um, you know, I guess to each their own. And uh, yeah, I'd always encourage people just to, to buy Bitcoin. I mean, the on-ramps and, the uh, amount of places that you can buy Bitcoin now is just um, almost seems infinite at this point. So um, you can uh, definitely buy it pretty, pretty easily. And I think almost every American ha probably has at least one app on their phone that they can uh, buy and sell Bitcoin. So yeah, if you have cash app, you can buy Bitcoin. <laughs> like, And I feel like more products are going to come out like this where you can actually buy Bitcoin and are able to withdraw it, which is Another huge caveat, which Robinhood, I don't even know if they still have it or not, but it's like people would buy Bitcoin there, but then they weren't able to withdraw it to their own wallet. And what is the point of that? You know, you don't have custody of it. 
you don't have all of the benefits. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. But at the end of the day, I would just encourage people to just buy your coins. There's, you know, there's a learning curve to it, but you'll actually see that there's a lot more benefits in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I will say is Robinhood did change uh, that. So you can withdraw Bitcoin, but they do okay, have cool. to it, um, now, I think. So it's like, I don't know. I want to say it's don't, like, yeah. don't buy from Robinhood, buy from Swan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> buy from Swan. <laughs> so they don't even give you the option to sell from it. But yeah, buy from Swan. And I mean, I'm sure like I haven't looked into the fees on Robinhood, but I'm sure they're probably a little bit higher than uh, than, than Swan's fees and they don't make it as easy uh, to buy and buy just buy Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I think it's just really important to see like the ethos of the companies that you're doing business with and what their mission is, because, you know, maybe Robinhood just cares about making fees. They, if they took so long to be able to let people withdraw, they're not really looking at the best interests of their clients. Um, so there's definitely, it's good for you to look at the company that you're doing business with, see what their ethos is, what their mission is, and you know if it aligns with you. Honestly, if Swan had higher fees, <laughs> I would be like, look, I am so focused on this mission. I don't mind paying a little bit more, but we do have lower fees. So <laughs> just yeah. do your own research. And it's it's really awesome when you start to support these Bitcoin-only companies because it's not easy. They're losing a lot of money just by doing it. But the ethics is so strong and the mission and the truth is there to where, you know what, <laughs> we're not going to get this casino of all these other coins in here to make more profits from fees. We want to focus on what really matters and that's Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a great place to end it right there. <laughs> so uh, Camilla, why don't you tell people where, where they can find you and what else you got going on? You mentioned the spaces, the podcast. Why don't you uh, tell us what time the spaces are and uh, yeah, name your podcast and everything. Absolutely. Thank you. So people can find me on Twitter. That's where I hang out the most. And my name is at Camilla Camden. Beware of scammers because there are so many scammers and they're going to ask you how your trade is going. And just know that that is not me. I'm never going to ask you about your trade. Um, but feel free to DM me. Uh, I love responding to messages of my two shows in Spanish. Uh, the Spanish Twitter spaces, I usually do them on the weekends at night. I've been uh, kind of on a break because with everything that was going on with the conference uh, and it's just focusing on that, but I will be back. The good news is that the new book from Superdean, uh, The Fiat Standard, is now being translated into Spanish, which is amazing. So I definitely want to jump into both of those books, The Bitcoin Standard and The Fiat Standard in Spanish. Um, whenever I get the chance. And then my other show, Bitcoin in Español, with my co-host, we do them on Mondays. You can find them on Swan Bitcoin's channel. So if you have people in Spanish that you want to orange pill and don't have resources, you can just use both of those and ask me questions because I can definitely give you more free books on Bitcoin that you can share. Perfect. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, everybody in the audience, especially the Spanish speakers, you should definitely go out and check those out or hand them to somebody that you know that might benefit from them. So Camilla, thank you so much for your time tonight. And I really appreciate you coming on. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Brandon. This was really fun. I enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, now let's end the broadcast.